Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I got it all right this time. Yeah. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Let's jump into the movies. Let's do it. You're starting. I am. Rare, a rare a rare Tyler start. Yeah. <laughs> why, do, why do you feel bad about it? <laughs> because we know why it's a rare Tyler start, because I so seldom see uh, as many movies as you as you see, certainly, but also as many movies as I would like to. Um, well, that's true. I mean, I also, also don't see as many movies as I sure. would like to. This I week, I have a mix of, like, stuff I can't talk about because of embargoes. Right. And also stuff that, like, you know, this past weekend was Halloween and, like, you know, we, we rewatched Texas Chainsaw Massacre and rewatched Hell, sure. Hellraiser. I don't need to like, I don't need to go into these sort of casual rewatches, especially now that Halloween's over. Right. You know? Yes, I get that. There's less urgency. Um, um, although maybe I should have included Hellraiser because rewatching it for the first time in a long time, mm-hmm. it was, it's one of those movies that I'm like, is this going to hold up? And then pleasantly surprised, like, oh, I think this is even better than I remembered. Oh, yes. Yes. Cool movie. Um, yeah, I did a, a rewatch of it when I was uh, editing the documentary. I was like, there's, I shouldn't be surprised that it's something I appreciate more as I'm older. I think when, when you're younger, it's just so batshit crazy <laughs> with such insane imagery and, and, hor- and genuinely horrifying that I think you're not really putting the... That's kind of where you stop, I think, when you're young. And then you get older and you're like, oh, there's some really interesting concepts going on yeah. here as yeah. well. Uh, but no, my, my first film is not Hellraiser. It is Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Which I saw. We talked about uh, last. Yes, and you know what? I think I, fr- you know, from the point of view of uh, a letterbox star rating, I think I like it more than you. But I also think I, I agree with you. Um, I saw it in the theater. I'm glad I did. Great sound design. Great music. Um, and and it's vi- and it's really visually gorgeous. And in a way that doesn't. It never seemed to me that like Denis Villeneuve was saying like, "Hey, look at this!" Like it really just seemed like he's trying to capture just the bigness of the story and the nature of a lot of these characters seeing some of this stuff for the first time, and so they're just they're mm-hmm. taking all of it in. So that all works for me. Like from a technical standpoint, it's pretty flawless. From a story standpoint, the thing that really really got me was because again, I I've, I saw the original uh, the the eighty three. 84? Uh, yeah, maybe 84. I don't remember uh, the exact year, but I saw that, but it's been forever. I don't remember many of the details. I just remember the images. Um, and here, your uh, phone is going off. Why is my phone over there? Um, but uh, the, the, the inherent tragedy of the story like really hit me. The idea that you're, you're watching like this political maneuvering so that an entire kingdom, whatever you want to call it, an entire group of people, an entire house is just going to be decimated. Like watching that level of a conspiracy and realizing, Oh, these characters that I've gotten to know by these actors, I like, yeah, they're not going to make it Hmm. to the end. And the, the, just the, the tragedy of that, like really struck me. But what didn't strike me was any, I don't know, like I just didn't feel connected to it. Uh, I felt at arm's length, which is not necessarily a problem, and certainly in the world of sci-fi and in the films of Denis Villeneuve, like that's not an uncommon feeling, except that in this case, I don't think I was supposed to feel that. I think I was supposed to feel invested in Paul and what he's dealing with specifically, and I am purely intellectually, 
but as these characters are feeling things, I'm not really feeling anything for them. And I do wonder, as I think you said, like when part two comes out and you watch them in their entirety, it, it might feel like just this astonishing achievement. As for right now, it's an amazing technical achievement. And I'm very reluctant to say this because I think Timothy Chalamet is a really great actor. I'm just not. And I think he does a fine job. But I do wonder. It's merely being a great actor is not quite enough to carry a movie of this size on your shoulders. You need Mm. you need a certain kind of screen presence, I think. And the nature of the character is that he is youthful and inexperienced. So that makes sense. That's why I liked the the casting, actually. If you look at like. Kyle MacLachlan, yeah, you know, I guess he's 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 boyish in his way, but he's still like yeah. feels like a man. Whereas Timothy Chalamet, yeah. who is a man in real life, yeah, um, still looks like a boy. Yeah, and so it's it's tough because it's just like, well, how do you get someone who can who can accomplish that and fit who fits that bill, but doesn't get I doesn't get like swallowed up in the spectacle? Because I feel like he kind of does. Um, again, no, nothing wrong with his performance, but there's just for whatever reason, uh, just he doesn't have the screen presence that I needed to feel like he was taking me through this. I felt the same way about a, in my opinion, a worse actor, Orlando Bloom, when I saw Kingdom of Heaven. Is it like this is another big epic with a really great ensemble, and he's our lead, and he just gets he just completely disappears, not into the role, just disappears on screen. And I feel like I'm not really, uh, I don't have any kind of entry point. And I know Paul is meant to be our entry point. So it's a, vi- it's a good movie. I, I would definitely recommend it, but I really, after seeing arrival, which I loved after seeing blade runner, I was really ready to embrace this because as you know, something I'd said was like, all right, Denis Villeneuve finally found, his genre, which is sci-fi and he achieves a lot of great things in this, but I just didn't, I certainly did not feel the way I did when I saw those two movies. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly recommendable. It's a really wonderful spectacle, but, uh, but a pretty cold one and one that I didn't feel engaged by. Um, yeah, I have, uh, I have something else to add, but first, uh, Orlando Bloom. Yeah. He, uh, he sort of became, he's, Legolas mm-hmm. and he's what's his name Will Turner yeah and that's like I mean he still acts but like the last thing I saw him in was Pirates 5 right. in 2017 before that it was The Hobbit 3 in 2014 yeah. like he's still showing up and stuff that, but it's just not stuff that I'm seeing that's yeah he was in weird. Like, I feel Elizabethtown like, which he wasn't very good in um, yeah and then he's in Kingdom of Heaven, which, you know, he's a very physical actor and, and, and that works for the parts that he's played. But with Kingdom of Heaven, it's like, again, it's an ensemble, but he's definitely our lead. Yeah. Whereas in all of his other films, like he's anytime he's part of a larger ensemble, I think he does pretty well. Do you know the like, OK, Grandma, let's get you to bed meme? Have you seen that meme? No. I, oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Orlando Bloom used to be a big deal. OK, Grandma, let's get you to <laughs> yeah, bed. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay. Last thing I want to point out about Dune, cause I want to, I want to and, and enough time has passed that I can talk about specifics and this isn't even really that big a spoiler or anything, but there's a part where Paul mm-hmm. and his mom, Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. 
are out in the desert and they have to change into their, uh, I've already forgotten what they're called. Their, their suits, their suits. Yeah. their desert suits. Uh, it's called a something skin, right? I believe so. Yeah. There's a lot of terminology and I definitely, I, I, I liked how immersive things were in that regard that like everything has a name. In any case, they're mother and son and they have to chase them those things. And there's a weird moment where they're like looking over their shoulders at each other's like naked backs. And it like, it felt like, the flirt, the flirtatious moment in an action movie where the, yeah. the, 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 the two heroes who were mismatched have to like, you know, get into a new disguise or something. And it's like, Ooh, who's peeking or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it was super hot, but, but you noticed it, right? Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. Cause yeah, but like, I don't think that's what I was po- what we were supposed to be feeling. I think it was supposed to be that, but so far I'm three for three. Cause after the movie was over, I said to, to Natalie, when I, when I watched, when we watched it together, I was like, Hey, did you notice that scene? And she almost immediately was like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was weird. I, I don't, I genuinely don't think it was supposed to be that. I think it was supposed to be like these care. These are not the most vulnerable characters to one another. And now they're in this situation where it's like, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm going to admittedly, if I changed in front of my mom, I'd be like, I'd like look over my shoulder. Like, Oh, I don't like this. That's the vibe I'm supposed to get is like, they feel, vu- sorry. I think that's what they were going for is they both feel vulnerable. And like, they're looking over like before they disrobe as if to say like, all right, but boy, I I don't know but if they. I think it's because it's an established trope. I can't. I'm sure. trying to think of an example, but I, sure. I can't. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like, which is why it's so. It's like adventure movie, you know. Yeah. Like uh, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Like six days, seven nights. I'm sure I had a scene. Uh, yeah, where yeah. <laughs> where uh, Anne Hage like had to like disrobe and like. Yeah. Don't look, but I kind of want you to look like that sort of thing. <laughs> which is why it's it's actually so refreshing in the in the last Harry Potter when the three of them like standing on the beach, like they have to change their clothes basically. And cause they're all wet and stuff like they have to change their clothes in front of each other and they just do it. Like they're just friends. And even though it's oh, like right. two guys and a, and a woman, and of course Ron and, and Hermione are, are attracted to each other, but like they don't hesitate because a, it's like they got shit to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and B like Take they're just so business. comfortable with each other. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, being back in the high school theater department. Um, but, uh, okay. Well, I was, uh, <laughs> Technician, all no, right, yeah. I just wore all black and I never changed. That's right, I forgot. Uh, all right, what's next? Next for me is a is a rewatch. It's been a few years. Uh, it's Alfred E. Green's Babyface, starring Barbara Stanwyck, uh, a film that I talked about briefly when we discussed our favorite movies of 1933. I want to say, um, and I first saw it a few years ago, and I, I in in my diversity in cinema class when talking about sort of uh, the way women re- were represented in the early days of Hollywood, I chose this film, um, and man, it's so, you would love it. I'm telling you, you would love okay. it. Uh, and I do like that, like, for, for decades and decades, the only version out there was sort of the censored version, but it was, it was like a pre, the movie was made pre-code and then released after. Okay. Uh, and then in 2003 or four, they found the pre-code version and that's sort of the official version now. And I'm so glad because it is absolutely the, on so many levels. It's the kind of thing that you would never expect to see from, uh, you know, Hayes code Hollywood. And it's, because it's about this woman who essentially embraces like Nietzschean philosophy about exploiting other people and exploiting yourself as a way of like getting to the top and, and realizing like she has power over men, which is to say like she can get what she wants by attracting men. And at no point does it seem like, uh, does it seem pathetic? Does it seem desperate? It's more just like she takes this, she takes ownership of this and somebody 
essentially like she she has for a short time she has like a mentor who's been reading a lot of Nietzsche and like and he says oh you should you you should go and you should use men like and it's so interesting because we tend to see this from the other perspective which is like men using women mm-hmm. it's like well yeah but in this situation she she if she knows what she's doing and she's will willingly doing it and is perfectly okay with it to get what she wants then she is using men and the you know while you're not seeing any scenes of like nudity or sexuality like just the frankness with which it approaches exactly what she is doing is so fascinating and Barbara Stanwyck is able to play all these notes you're you're totally on board with her like you you are on her side uh, and even when there are some guys that actually are emotionally invested in her uh we we sometimes see the, the slightest twinge of not regret for what she is doing, but like oh, it's unfor- This is an unfortunate part of it. This is the part of the job I hate, you know. Um, and she's man- she manages to like create this character who is often very cold and is okay with that, but she actually does not does not like strip away all the character's humanity. Um, yeah, I'm ab- I'm telling you, you would absolutely love it as like an early like. I definitely see it as a feminist movie and I think uh, I think you would really love it all right um, I'm gonna move on to my first of two movies today and to look up the director's name and I'm still gonna get it wrong but uh, Miklos Jansko Jankso Miklos probably a yeah sound sure Hungarian Miklos Jankso maybe okay. Anyway, his 1966 film, The Roundup, which is the earliest of his films in this six-film series that Kino Lorber is doing restorations, or has done restorations of, and are playing in a series at the uh, American Cinematheque at Los Feliz 3, starring Mm -hmm. Sunday, November 7th. There are six of them. I've watched two of them. Spoiler, both my movies are going to be Jensko movies uh, today. Um, But based on these two movies alone... Uh, I would definitely recommend if you're in Los Angeles going to the Los Feliz 3 and seeing some of these these movies. I can't wait to watch the other four. But I'll start with the roundup. Um, like I said, 1966. Uh, um, it takes place, I, I don't know, it, there's a whole opening. I, movies that take place in like a specific or historical place that start with text mm-hmm. explaining it, and my, I, I, I read the text and I'm like, okay, okay, and then I always immediately forget <laughs> Like, I, don't know, I, I never gain anything from that. Yeah. So I, it takes place somewhere, but it's like the Austro-Hungarian War, and uh, the Austrians have basically crushed this rebellion, and there's a bunch of, like, Hungarians in this prison camp, like prison mm-hmm. fort or whatever, um, and the Austrian, like, soldiers are trying, the, the army who are uh, imprisoning them are trying to figure out, like, who the big players in the, you know, they don't know one, like, gorilla from a gorilla leader you know what right. i mean so trying to figure out who they are and so basically they're they're um uh, uh pitting the prisoners against one another trying to like uh coerce them. like basically at the beginning one guy gets like coerced into admitting to three murders mm-hmm. and then is told well you go back out into gen pop they don't call it that go back out into gen pop <laughs> and uh if you can find someone who has committed more than three murders and bring them to us and name their victims, then we'll let you go. Oh, and then, so this sort of stuff just keeps happening that they're just like playing. And so there's these, it's these, these mind games and it's all, it feels like a Western because this Ford is in the middle of the, 
countryside and it's it's black and white but it's beautiful like uh beautiful scope and these restorations obviously i'm not seeing i'm seeing a compressed screener file but even based on that it looks very uh sharp and clean and clear and like the light density is exactly what you'd want it looks great um uh so these movies are beautiful but also very like or, or I'll talk talking specifically about the roundup, uh, but this applies to the next one I'm going to talk about too. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, but also very sad. But also, what's the thing that I found so fascinating about both these movies so far is that there's this constant undercurrent of what I think of a, a I think of as a particularly like Eastern European slash Russian brand of gallows humor, where it's like it's just pitch black. It's mm. there's there's this. <laughs> it's fatalist humor that like yeah. uh everyone knows the situation they're in is awful and is like at some point kind of result like yeah we're trying we're rebels but like everything's probably gonna suck i think about yeah. um uh svetlana on the sopranos who tells tony <laughs> that like americans go around thinking nothing bad will ever happen to them and they're shocked when it does yeah and where she's from uh, which is she's supposed to be Ukrainian? Is that right? I think I can't remember. I should know. I'm rewatching The Sopranos now. Um, she's like, we expect bad things to happen, and I feel like that's that sort of like mindset informs a lot of um, the the comedy, I guess. Although I wouldn't you wouldn't classify this movie as a comedy, but it has this sardonicness to it that uh, I found uh, really sad and beautiful, but also like compelling i couldn't yeah. stop couldn't stop watching i'm reminded of a joke uh-huh. <laughs> that is dark it's a dark joke um and uh it's essentially what is it like gallows humor is like bread in soviet russia not everybody gets it <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's a lot of there's a few layers yeah, to that joke that i really like yeah. but uh and so i'm reminded but i think of that. i i think and that's funny, but I honestly, uh, I'm starting to think, I think Gall- there is something kind of universal about Gallows. I think it, so. As a concept, yeah. it manifests differently in different yeah. cultural and social situations. Yeah. But um, I do think the idea of everything sucks, let's have a laugh about it, is, yeah. is kind of universal. I think that there's... Obviously, this doesn't work for the joke, but... Not everybody appreciates it. Not everybody understands the impulse. Okay, yeah. To make well, I think yeah. You and I are humor. like comedy nerds who intellectualize and analyze comedic sure. impulses. Sure. Almost reflexively, like yes, we that's don't even true. think about it. Like, like you said, you just told a joke, and then immediately, like, there's more than one layer. Like, our yeah. our impulse is always <laughs> yeah. not to be like that's funny. It's to be like let's that's see why that's funny. yeah. That's very well structured. Yeah, that's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which I know a lot of comedians hate that about yeah. comedy nerds, but uh, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, shouldn't have gotten up there and told all those jokes. <laughs> yeah. there. you don't want me to pick them apart. <laughs> this episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today 
at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Uh, all right, you're up next. Uh, next up is a rewatch, a movie that I uh, that I have seen many times, but it has been quite a while since I last saw it. A film that you and I are outside the mainstream and that we don't absolutely adore it, and that is Robert Zemeckis' Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. A movie that... Which I really I watched, watched in July. I, really? talk, oh, okay. I, I don't think I talked on the podcast because I went to... Um, this was in ju- in July when things were like before, like the Delta really was like. Right. I guess Delta was starting to surge. A friend of mine for his birthday did that thing of renting out a movie theater. Oh, and so um, at the uh, the AMC that's in the mall. You know, there's three AMCs in Burbank. Yeah, <laughs> the one that's inside the mall. Yeah, he ran out of theater, and a bunch of us like went to like an 11 p.m. Oh. But, but it was also like after we were like at his place, like barbecuing and drinking for a long time. Right. I, I like, I watched it, but I'd also been like drinking a bunch of yeah, beers late at night. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Sorry. here's, here's something that, that absolutely happens for me is that, you know, there's a movie that I've seen a, a number of times. So many people love it. And then you spend, you know, you spend so much of your time saying like, well, it's not that great. And then it becomes not that great in your head. And in my mind, yeah, it's not the cinematic masterpiece that so many people, especially of our generation, seem to think it is. But it's still pretty good. And in watching it, like there are certain subtleties because it's not a movie I think of as subtle. But when you watch it and you're really like you see like this performance or this line or something like that, okay, you know what? There's more. There's there's more to appreciate here than I was than than I was remembering, um, and so I, I I definitely liked it this time. And there are parts of it that I really love. I think performances all over, all across the board are great. Mm-hmm. With Crispin Glover maybe being like the MVP. Obviously, Michael J. Fox carries the movie really well. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is a lot of fun, but Crispin Glover. Because it's so easy to play like, oh, a lovable nerd. He's not lovable. <laughs> like, A, he's a peeping Tom. And right. then B, it's just like the way he carries himself. You're like, boy, I can't really, can't really bring myself to embrace this guy. Uh, and he knows it. That's the other thing is like, this, he's a bit of a self-loathing character. And, and the transformation when like Biff is, is going after Lorraine and he says, get your damn hands off her thinking it's going to be Marty, mm-hmm. which is a plot point. I forgot that oh. he didn't, he wasn't going to stand up to Biff immediately. He yeah. thought this was a stage thing. Then Biff shows up and you see the look on his face like, Oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And Biff has given has basically said like scram, get out of here. And you see this look on his face. Like, I don't think it matters that this isn't staged. I think I have to do this mm-hmm. even though I'm absolutely going to get my <laughs> ass kicked. There's no yeah. question about it. And all of that just happens on his, on his face. And it's a really good moment. It's yeah. a really good performance. Um, that, and then there's, you know, that you and I are not fans of like people in the past, you know, it, it depicted in the past scoffing at something that we all know. So like the idea of Ronald Reagan being the, the president and then, and, but doc Brown thinks that's ridiculous. There is something there's a bit that I completely forgot about where he's looking at Marty's camera and he's talking about, he, and he says, no wonder your president has to be an actor. He has to be good on television. Uh, and I remember thinking like, it's 
the character goes from incredulous to once everything clicks into place as far as the idea of actually being from the future, he immediately starts contextualizing everything in regards to everything else so that he no longer looks like this buffoon in our eyes. Right. Like he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. So it's stuff like that where it's like, you know what? I didn't remember that. I remember the, I remember the, the Reagan thing, but I didn't remember that this character is more adaptable than, than he would be in a lesser movie. So it's, it's, it's not a movie that I, that I necessarily adore, but I definitely in my, you know, in my, uh, attempts to, defend not adoring it uh i might have done myself a disservice uh and so i'm i'm glad that i rewatched it and uh yeah. it's it's definitely worth it's definitely worth rewatching if you're somebody like us who who thinks they remember everything about it and and this is where i turn into a, a big snob which is like this i it's like talking about big lebowski a lot of the people that really love it it's like oh you you love the surface stuff, which is perfectly fine, but there's a lot going on, especially the idea of like being able to humanize your own parents, you know, cause certainly you don't think parents just don't understand David. Uh-huh. And then you see them, as, he see Marty sees his parents as, as younger and sees them as real people. And it, it that to me is like such a fascinating storyline. I remember in, it was probably my senior year of high school, I had, it was like at the end of the school year and the teacher was just like going to throw on a movie sure. or whatever. And this teacher was not the, uh, someone I would consider the brightest teacher. Okay. Uh, um, he was kind of a bro type of teacher. <laughs> all right. Um, he was all like also a coach. I mean, I had to like make broad generalizations, but sure. he was, uh, not, he was, he was it was not a situation where he got hired as a teacher and they thought, you know what? We need someone to coach this team. Right. Yeah. It was the other way around. Other way yeah. around. So he decided to watch, uh, to throw in, um, Austin powers, international man of mystery, which mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, I like that movie. Except, you know, he then proceeded to fast forward through all of my favorite stuff. Cause he thought it was the boring stuff. Like, Fast like forward. like the group the this the group oh. scene which is like my favorite thing in the movie uh but he just wanted like the biggest stuff the biggest yeah. broadest stuff let's just fast forward to like oh look he's holding the pineapples in front of elizabeth hurley's tits or oh, whatever boy. like that's the stuff that he liked um and most of the class was with him is the thing so yeah. uh I, anyway um back to back to the future um, yeah, I, those are all really good points that I wish I had thought of when I was uh, watching it uh, back in July. What I thought of is that as like kind of manufactured as the last minuteness is of like, right. like Doc Brown has to like get the thing on like, oh, no, yeah. the tree ranch fell. And it's it's yeah. manufactured. But like that's the kind of stuff Robert Zemeckis is good at. It's like that's super tense. I'm like, is yeah. he going to get it? Yes, you've seen this movie 50 yeah. times. But it's yeah. like, oh, I can't. Um, but uh, we watched yeah. it incidentally in my American film history class, uh, a, f- a class that many, many weeks ago we watched safety last. And so oh, yeah. as Doc Brown, like f- grabs onto the, 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 the hands on the, on the clock, I heard like, mer- like, like, Oh, it, <laughs> from my students. And I was like, Oh boy, how exciting. Oh, that is exciting. You didn't have to be like, huh? Right. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, there was more that I was going to say that I've that I forgot. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Uh, no, no, that's 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 okay. Um, I still think everything with Marvin Barry sucks and is embarrassing. 
<laughs> yeah. And him playing on the, that, that I don't like any of that stuff. The idea of, I, the idea of Marty being like put into the band, given that like there is an entire sub, sub, subplot that I had forgotten about, which is that he doesn't have a great deal of confidence in himself as a musician. And then he talks to his dad who, who like writes these stories and he doesn't show them to anybody. And he says like, you know, what if, what if people yeah. say it's really bad? And he goes, he goes, I'm sure that sounds silly to you. And, and it really resonates with Marty. He's like, okay, I take after my dad in this regard. And so here, and then he sees his dad punch Biff. Right. And he gets, and, that. and he feels yeah. that. So it's like from a character standpoint, I get it, but that doesn't mean you have to do the Johnny be good thing, except to show that like, look how bold he is. So I yeah. get it. I get it. I just don't. Um, I just don't like yeah, it. I remember the thing that I was going to say, which is watching it for the first time in forever. I had the same feeling I had a few years back when I rewatched star Wars for the first time in forever, mm-hmm. which is that these things become so big in the culture and in our minds that I kind of forget like, Oh yeah, the story is pretty like a to B to C. Like it's yeah. like you kind of get to, we figured out how to get the 1.21 gigawatts and there's yeah. going to be a storm. Like you get to that and it's like, Oh, that was weirdly, it felt weirdly simple. Like, because my mind is yeah. a big thing, but it's, uh, but, uh, the, but the movie to this is, I have a lot of problems with Robert Zemeckis's movies. Um, and I also love them. It's a very love hate thing. Yeah. Uh, but they all, they all move like, uh, yeah. like, uh, I don't know. Grease lightning, I guess. So the movie flies by. I mean, you, it, when it comes right down to it, like even when he's like at his at his worst, you're just like, boy, I wish every mainstream filmmaker had these sensibilities, you know, because, yeah, story wise, like the idea of the clock clock tower being struck by lightning like that's set up early, like in the 1980s, mm-hmm. they set that up. And it's just like so that when it does pay off, like, all right, this no one can say you're you're springing this on us. Yeah. And I and I appreciate that. Uh, all right, you should have one more, right? Yes. A movie I saw today, a movie that doesn't come out for like six weeks, but there's no embargo uh, on yeah, it, we, shockingly. We, we, we both re- like combed through the <laughs> yeah. emails like, oh yeah, I guess you're allowed to talk about this. Uh, it is Joe Wright's Cyrano, uh, starring Peter Dinklage. It is a, an adaptation of uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, which, which th- you know, there have been two movie versions of it. And then there is also Roxanne, which is like a modernization of it. Uh, and then what I didn't know is that there was a stage musical and this is an adaptation of that. I did not know it was a musical as I went in. Um, Oh, okay. And it, and it took me, I mean, it's, it's a dialogue heavy movie. Uh, and so, and it, it leads with dialogue and then a character starts singing and I thought, oh, okay, all right. I, I immediately need to adjust my expectations. As far as the film itself, um, I love it. Oh, good. And I mean, love it. Oh, it's my so favorite. It's my favorite movie of the year. I'm so excited. Granted, I haven't seen that many movies this year, yeah. but <laughs> it's, so it's better than army of the dead. <laughs> Just barely. <laughs> I've seen two movies this year. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't go in skeptical or anything like that, but Joe Wright is hit or miss when he hits. That's exactly right. That's when what, yeah. he hits like Pride and Prejudice, I lie, adore Anna Karenina. And the idea of taking sort of these, these old classic stories and just breathing new life into them is something he specializes in when he's on. And in my view, he is as on as he's ever been 
in this film. It is, it's still a period piece. They're not putting it in modern day or anything like that. So the costumes look great. It's a beautiful looking film. The music and the songs are memorable and heartfelt. The performances all the way through are marvelous. Um, I am now rooting for like Peter Dinklage to get a lot of awards, not merely because it's who I have in the uh, awards draft. Right. But on principle, like I've liked Peter Dinklage for a long time. There are so many, the character of Cyrano, there's there, he has like three notes and Peter Dinklage finds a way. That's not very many for a musical. Hey, <laughs> I wish we could end on that, but we still have <laughs> we more, more stuff to talk about. Um, but, uh, and Peter Dinklage finds a way to take this character and make him as over the top as he needs to be. But he's, he is self pitying, but self aggrandizing. Like he's all of these things that would seem to, uh, but heads and yet he brings them all together and in one hand on one hand i'm just like yeah i'm sure he has felt a lot of what cyrano is feeling like where every other actor has to wear this goofy big nose here the character does it's that the character is is a dwarf and as Peter Dinklage is. So I'm sure he's bringing a great deal of himself to, to the role and his own experience. And he knows what, what this is. And thankfully the script and the, and the songs like give all of the actors plenty to work with. Um, I, here's, here's how I, here's how I would say I was overwhelmed with emotion to the point of tears, but not necessarily, because of what was happening in the story. Mm. It was the sheer artistry mm. and the passion and the energy. It, it made me want to come home and hug Jen. <laughs> it made me want to wake up my kids and hug them. It made me want to, you know, before the, before the podcast, uh, you, you mentioned that you were feeling a bit stressed and, yeah. and all that. And I want to be like, I wish I could give you what I'm right. feeling yeah. right now. It's, uh, it's no, the kind of, it. it's the kind of movie that, and I'm probably overselling it. I'm sure many people will see it and say like, yeah, it's just basic, you know, a modern musical, whatever. But for whatever reason, like it just hit me the right way. And <laughs> what? That's the director's name. Right. Hey, <laughs> man. Oh man. You're on fire. With you made, you made the joke. I guess I did. <laughs> um, but it's it's this is such a is such a silly thing every once in a while i will see a movie that reminds me why i like doing this whether it be teaching or you know being a film critic whatever it is like i see something it's just like oh this is gonna oh, okay this is gonna carry me for a while i think and, it's carrying me like i think it's rubbing off on me right now and i haven't even seen the movie and i i i do worry that like i will i'm gonna be talking this up uh and people are gonna see it and be like yeah it's good it's fine. Uh, and, and I, I have no doubt that mine will probably be the most ecstatic written review on Rotten Tomatoes, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say it's a masterpiece, uh, uh, just juggling tone and all that. And it's just, uh, boy, I, I really, I really adore this movie. Like to such an extent that I was like, if I, if I saw Peter Dinklage on the street, uh, or Joe Wright, not that I remember what he looks like. I would like, th- I'd thank them for the movie. And that's not a thing that I feel very often. I remember I, I met, 
Danny Boyle and I thanked him for millions right? because that's a movie that, that resonates with me for just kind of when it was made and when I saw it. Uh, and this is one of those where I just like, it made me feel more alive. It made me happy to feel alive, which frankly is not a thing I feel very often. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I was eager to talk. I was one of the reasons that I was, that I really wanted to find out whether it was under embargo. I wanted to talk about the movie today, because I was worried that some of this would would fade away by tomorrow. Uh, all right, um, I have to try and top that, um, which I can't. Top because, that? That's uh, what I say. That's what Teen <laughs> Witch would say. So the other um, Miklos Yankso uh, movie that I watched is, uh, I guess, the follow up to the Roundup. It's called The Red and the White, uh, and this is also a war adjacent movie. this is much more of a war movie right the round of his war adjacent this is a war movie uh it takes place during the uh 1919 russian revolution um and uh the red are obviously the uh i don't know the communists mm-hmm. and the white are the czarists i guess sure um and the uh the title of the movie um is not uh it's not just a clever title, as uh, <laughs> as Wayne Campbell would say. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, um, it actually does involve both. It has a uh, this this really interesting kind of like in modern terms like hyperlink movie hyperlink movie kind of structure where we'll be following someone for a while and then he gets like captured and then we go to the prison camp and then we're following the other side who were running the prison camp, but then the prison camp gets torn and taken, take over. We find a new like point of view character on the other side. So the movie keeps sort of keeps going back and forth on both sides of the, of, of the conflict. And, um, again, showing, uh, war, especially like, uh, messy guerrilla warfare, like a revolution, uh, like this as, um, unending, often completely senseless, like both, in terms of like the violence is the violence in the movie is often horrible, but also it's also nonsense at the same time. Like it, again, that, that very dark sense of humor, uh, comes up. You see, you see some, some terrible things, you know, the, uh, the reds, um, show up to, there's this like, uh, hospital with this group of like, uh, uh, women, these nurses are like taking care of wounded and they're like, they don't care what side anyone's on. They're taking care of the wound from both sides. Right. But the reds show up and just walk down this row of sick, uh, rebels and just shoot them all, like kill them all oh, like one after the other and then throw their bodies in the river. That, that, and that's just like another thing that happens in this movie. The, 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 the that fatalism that I was talking about, um, is there. And yet I don't want to sound like I'm making, like the movie is bleak because his, the movie is often like funny rousing and there's just uh, an uh, an incredible sense of of movement he uses a lot of um uh long takes the opening the opening scene is we see two i guess reds uh, i think i said it before i said i think i think i said it the wrong way about the hospital i think it was the whites who were shooting the reds anyway whatever okay um the movie's in black and white so i often like had to be like okay the whites are the ones with the funny hats um <laughs> those are the sorists they have funny hats um uh but um the opening shot you've got a couple of i guess reds um and they're like shooting at like a group of 
of of czarists, but then like they're you see them literally realize like oh shit, there's the cavalry. These guys on horseback they're coming uh, f- from us, and so they're running toward the river. And this is all one shot, just on a on like a long hmm. track that's like tracking along the river, and then like one of them ducks under the water and hides under the reeds as we see the other one get captured and killed. And then like the rest of the scene, this is all still the same take um, unfolds with the czarists then like um, saying, okay, we're going to take, you know, kill these ones and take the prisoners back to the, and then like they leave and then still the same take the, the guy who was in hiding, like finally emerges from mm. the reeds and it's all one, t- like long take of, of this, this, uh, kind of wide angle, but like uh wide screen, uh, camera just going sort of back and forth along the river. The, the there's parts where like horses come so close to the camera. Mm. Uh, it's beautifully, all those movies are all, well, both of those movies that I've seen so far, I've got four more to watch are, are beautifully staged. Yeah. Sounds like it. 